0: As we've shared, this is our ninth anniversary that we are celebrating as Lighthouse Bible Church, Los Angeles. We started with our first informal Sunday service on October twentieth, two thousand thirteen, and then we had our formal inaugural service on February sixteenth of twenty fourteen, and so that's why we celebrate every Fev- February—not necessarily on the exact day, but somewhere in the month. For those of you who remember, we started in Pasadena. And uh, we met right across the street from Pasadena City College. And at the beginning of 2015, we moved here to this present site. After today's right of fellowship, we currently have 69 members. I was kind of tracking how our membership has been ever since we started. And uh, it has been a very, very, um, I guess you could say an, an adventure. And uh, we've had a lot of turnover. We've had a lot of changes. And if there's one thing that I would say, especially the past three years, uh, it, it has been kind of going through this valley. Uh, and in Psalm 23, when it talks about the valley of the shadow of death, I, I don't know if I want to say it's like that dramatic. Uh, but at the same time, there have been uh, dark days It is very clear that there is a spiritual battle going on. The attacks of the enemy uh, have been felt in a very keen and painful way. Uh, There are relationships that have been uh, broken and, and even, I would go as far as to say, brutalized. We also are very much aware of our own shortcomings, our weaknesses, our insufficiency, our sinfulness. But there is a reason why we can look at that and still have hope. Even in our weakness, what it can and should do is that it should heighten a greater awareness that all we have is really by the grace of God. And when we think of how to respond to God, we need to be reminded of what is true and what we hold on to. You know, the five solo statements uh, during the Reformation were not new. They were just being brought back. And at times, I think we need to be reminded of them as well. That all that we have is by grace, the grace of God alone. That it is only through faith alone that we are saved. Because it is only in Christ alone, through his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. That all we do is by the authority of scripture alone, there is no other authority that we submit to. And all of this is to the glory of God alone. God is the one who should should receive all the glory. There, there is no glory that is meant to be directed toward us. So this morning when I woke up and as I drove over and I saw the sun, I was like, that's nice. After the rains and, and snow, even where we live, there was snow. We took pictures uh, Romeo got his chance to go out into the snow and, uh, you know, there was some yellow snow too. Um, being able to see the sun shine on the way here, even in that small way, you know, it's just a reminder uh, of God's kindness to us. I'm a big like war sort of, uh, I guess, history Kind of fan. I love reading history textbooks. I finally had to get rid of the history textbooks because I realized uh, they're not going to do anything other than take up space. But uh, if you've watched movies about war and they give the depiction of uh, soldiers kind of slugging through mud, you know, to gain even inches uh, of uh, the battle line so that they would be able to eventually defeat the enemy. And I would say like the last several years, especially the last five years, has felt like a long extended battle. Now, you might not see that, obviously, in the same way you would watch a physical war take place. It is because there is a spiritual war that is going on. And I wanted to give you some perspective today because, you know, it's not something that we think about because we're busy with our own lives and and we come together uh, for a church service on Sunday, but we go right back on Monday to, to work, to, to family, to, to whatever else we're doing. But sometimes it's helpful to reflect and to be reminded of what it took to get here. And it's not that we're done. This is just one of those markers where we continue to then move forward there are a number of people who told me very explicitly that we had absolutely no one qualified in our church to be elders. In fact, that no one was even qualified to be a small group leader. And there was not even a word of hope or encouragement. And that was hard, not only to hear, but to think, why? Why would you say that? Why would you want to crush any sense of wanting to be able to see God at work? Who does that? Well, people do. But the Lord has seen to our need. He has answered in this perfect time. And if you recall a few years ago when we started to go through this process of teaching. What does the Bible have to say about church leadership? What what is an elder? What is a deacon or deaconess? What are the qualifications? Why is it important for the church to take this seriously? No matter how big or small your church is, it doesn't matter. The members of the church have to learn and then exercise their responsibilities to affirm those in the body who are qualified, as you would observe the pursuit of godly character, that you would see those who have shown a pattern of spiritual maturity and growth, that you would see those who have walked the path of faithful service, even without having a formal title. But you already see that their heart posture and their desire is to serve the Lord. that's why we don't make elders or deacons or deaconesses. We recognize that God is the one who is molding and shaping those people to then serve in those roles. But we've had to be patient. Patience is hard because it means waiting. And I don't know about you, for those of you with little children, when they're hungry and they want food, what usually happens? Well, I think that's where maybe they came up with the the word hangry, but adults even claim that, you know, you're so hungry that you get angry. And you try to tell your child, be patient. I mean, I think maybe some of you know, I, I sing the patience song. I sang it to my kids growing up. I sing it to other kids when I see that they're being impatient toward their parents. I say, hey, 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 let me teach you a song. And over the years, there are kids now who are grown up, and all I have to do is look at them and say, hey, do you need me to sing the patience song? And they're like, no, no, no. I'm going to sing it anyway, because you need to be reminded. Patience is hard. And if you recall, we had to walk through the process of praying for these candidates, the nomination process. I was so grateful to see that many of you took seriously That you would look at scripture and say, here are the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. And then say, I want to pray for those who will be our elders, our deacons, our deaconesses. We needed to be equipped with God's word. So that together as a church, we could say, it is because God is the one who has led this process so that we might then affirm those who will serve in these roles. So that's why today is a day that was long awaited. We could celebrate God's goodness to us as a church. Now the role of a shepherd is a very appropriate one in this example that the apostle Peter, he uses both the verb form Regarding, regarding how an elder is to live out his role, and also in reference to Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. So Peter says, shepherd the flock of God, but then he also points to the chief shepherd. And again, simple observation. If you see the same word being used in the passage, you want to know, is there some connection? And yes, there is. There are many churches that have elders and uh, along the way, I've heard some pretty crazy stories about elders, especially when I was serving in the Korean church community. And while it's understandable, and understandable that due to social and cultural framework of how immigrants came together, the church, and that there were challenges that came in living in a new world, it was very interesting that the role of the church elder became one that was synonymous with having authority. Power and control. Now, not all elders were this way, or even today, but there is a sobering reality that there are those who uh, have been conferred with the title of elder, and it's very clear that they should not have been. Whether it's the lacking of character, or whether it's failing to carry out the role of being a shepherd. You see, by the time Peter writes this apostle, he's a seasoned leader. And as he writes, he says he is a fellow elder. Look there at chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. He understands the calling of an elder. He is exhorting those who are fellow elders with these words but you only have to go back to the gospel accounts and you know that the life of Peter was one that was very mixed. There were times when Peter seemed brilliant, like when he gave the great confession, when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter says very eloquently, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he turns right around and tells Jesus what he shouldn't do. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's a quick turnaround. Peter definitely knew his frailties and his weaknesses. You see, they were exposed for all to see. In fact, that's one of the challenging things if you consider when you're reading Scripture and you're seeing lives being described. These lives are forever marked in Scripture. It must have been humbling for Peter. But it was because of those times where he was humbled that he understood all the more that the tendencies of those who served as elders in the church, these elders need to be challenged and reminded that their calling was one that was defined by Jesus being the chief shepherd. He is the head of the church. Now, I had a chance to do an elder installation a few weeks ago for a pastor friend. And um, Matt and Lily were there, so they got to hear this already, kind of. It's a tall call for those who are going to serve as elders, that they would take seriously what Jesus has defined through Scripture as the chief shepherd, that those who will shepherd under his authority will then humbly serve the church. I'm not going to go through this passage in detail but I do want to highlight a few things. First I want to highlight the humble shepherd. The humble shepherd. You see Paul Peter sets up this passage and says I exhort and he is doing this as this fellow elder not in a demanding way but in an appealing way. The word he uses there is the the idea of ex- exhorting or encouraging to come alongside, and he's coming alongside fellow elders. He's not talking from above them. He's coming alongside of them and saying, I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. I want to remind you. Why? Because Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was a partaker of the glory that was revealed. Peter was an eyewitness of all this. He saw the sufferings of Christ through the several years they were together in ministry, and especially when Jesus went to the cross. You see, Peter was also in Matthew 17 there at the transfiguration of Christ. He got to see Christ in his revealed glory. But then he saw Christ humiliated at the cross as well. But he knows that that preview of Christ's glory that he saw in the transfiguration, pointed to what was to come. So he gives perspective, and he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Now, if you have in your mind the picture of a shepherd, we don't don't see too many of those here in Los Angeles. When we lived in Maryland, we used to see sheep off of the highway. But the the work of a shepherd is very simple. It's 24-7, take care of the sheep. And if you go to different parts of the world, there are still those who work as shepherds. It's a 24-7 job. Literally, it is a very personal job. In fact, sheep get to know the shepherd. And the shepherd gets to know the sheep. So much so. That when the sheep hear the voice of their shepherd, they they could be mixed up with other sheep, with other shepherds. But if they hear the voice of their shepherd, they will go to that shepherd. I mean, I don't know if I could tell the difference between a bunch of sheep. But if you spend enough time 24-7, you'll see that they're not all the same. The true shepherd actually loves the sheep treats them with great care, unlike the hireling who just treats it as a job, who sees sheep as problems. You see, an elder must be a true shepherd in light of the chief shepherd who showed what it meant to actually care for the sheep. This is why you can't simply appoint elders for pragmatic reasons. You know, there's so many churches that will have someone who's, Wealthy, or who's prominent, or who maybe was there at the beginning of the church. Now, it's not that all those things are necessarily bad, but that those are not the reasons why an elder should be brought up. They first and foremost need to be someone who will shepherd the sheep. They are also to oversee, not under compulsion, but to do so willingly. You know, one of the things that's actually challenging is to find people to find especially men who would willingly serve as an elder. Now, there's a few reasons why it's hard. One, it's a lot of work, especially if you're going to serve as a lay elder. Now, it's one thing to be a pastoral elder in the sense that that's our full-time job. So we get to think about all the things about ministry throughout the week. But if you're a lay elder, as we had our lay uh, elder ordination with Chris, you're, uh, in a sense, having this added responsibility even along with your full-time job. So it's understandable that some will say, well, I don't know if I have time for that. There are some that'll say, actually, it's kind of scary because I don't know if I want my life to be put in such a position where I will be basically front and center in the church in terms of having to be someone who people would look up to. Sometimes wives are scared I know that there are times in the past where there are some wives who told their husbands, no, I don't want you to be an elder. It's too much. It'll be too hard. We're never going to see you again. You're going to have meetings every night. We don't have meetings every night. But it's understandable. So you want those who, are, who will not be an elder because they're forced to or coerced to or guilted into it, but to do it willingly. Why? Because you want to serve the Lord. You know, it says that all these things should be according to God. Look at verse two. It says shepherd the flock of God among you overseeing, not under compulsion, but willingly according to God, according to God, not according to me, not according to other people, not according to what the expectations are that are coming from man. But do I look to God? God, all things according to God. It it might seem a little simple, but if you're going to be an elder, you need to be an elder who shepherds the church God's way, according to God's rules, according to God's expectations, according to the purpose that would bring the most glory to God. You see, the problem for some churches who have elders who don't take this seriously is what they're actually doing is disregarding God. They're not doing things according to God. That's a scary place to be, and that's not just for elders either. In fact, the whole church must be concerned about doing all things according to God. And the elder of all people needs to show that God's ways are our ways. God's will is our will. And God's glory alone is what we seek. You see, being an elder is never about having some kind of inherent authority or power or will that I can exercise on my own. It's sad when you hear of examples of elders who take things into their own hands. I remember hearing about an elders meeting uh, here in L.A. years ago where several elders brought guns to the meeting and pulled them out on each other. I was like, wow, I wouldn't want to be at that church. Elders are also not to be uh, pursuing this role for dishonest gain. There are elders who can be manipulative and take advantage of the church for their own personal pursuits. Elders are also to do this with eagerness. That they would show a keen interest. In fact, if anyone should be the most excited and enthusiastic about God's work at the church, it should be the elders. Elders are also not to be lording over those allotted to you. If anything, Jesus said, You know, you're not here to make it about you, you're actually here to be a servant. You're called to lay down your life for the sheep, not lord over them. Elders are to be an example to the flock, a type or a pattern. In fact, the elders should be the kind of leaders that show the people, this is what it means to follow Jesus, to submit to Jesus, to live like Jesus. In fact, if there's anything that you're leading with, it's that you're leading people to Jesus. That's what you're doing in terms of leading You're not leading because you're telling people what to do for your own agendas. You're pointing people to Christ. And remember ultimately that elders are are held accountable to the chief shepherd. We are actually under shepherds. There's only one chief shepherd to whom we'll give an account. In fact, we don't, as elders, do this even for approval by the church members. Whether things are acknowledged or not, All is to be done for the chief shepherd, especially when times get hard, especially when there is suffering, especially when there are conflicts. Elders are to be faithful to be the kind of shepherd that brings glory to the chief shepherd. And the reward that would be sufficient is just to hear the chief shepherd say, well done. Well done, good and faithful slave. In first Peter five, verses five through seven, you see an emphasis on humility. So titles being humble servants. Peter highlights you younger men to be subject to your elders. They had the same problems back then that we might have today. Those who are younger. Have a lot of eagerness, a lot of energy, but sometimes don't see the importance of being humble towards the leaders. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, as those who will give an account, so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. You know, submission to leadership really just comes down to being humble. Doesn't mean you're not allowed to share your thoughts and opinions. Doesn't mean that you can't bring up questions. But is the posture of your heart one that is humble? Peter reminds everyone in verse 6 Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So while he highlights in verse 5, you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, all of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And then he quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And you know, it was the same deal back in the Old Testament as it was in the New Testament times, as well as today. God is opposed to the proud, So if any of you are thinking about being proud, God is opposed to you. That's a serious thing to consider. But on the flip side, God is the one who will exalt the humble. We are all called to be humble before God. And yes, there is a humility that is befitting for those who serve We need humble elders who understand that leadership is ultimately about serving. We also need humble deacons and deaconesses that understand that their serving is to help the elder serving. You know, I've been asked uh, recently, because a lot of people have not heard of churches having a deaconess, uh, and that actually is a... um, I guess you could say an interpretive issue in 1 Timothy 3 when it talks about deacons. And then if you have the ESV, it says wives of deacons. And that's an interpretive issue, which uh, we would not agree with. It's okay, the ESV is still okay. But we would say that in the context of 1 Timothy chapter 3, there are male and female deacons. There's no inherent authority that they have because the position is not one of power. It's actually one of serving and support. And we need men and women who can help the elders maintain their priorities, the preaching and teaching of the word, of prayer, of shepherding. The main thing is that they are to have a heart of humility in doing this work. So that's why humility is so important. We are to be humble under the mighty hand of God. You know, maybe sometimes we forget that God is actually great. That he's mighty. That he's not just our buddy. You know, some people kind of lowered God to just someone that they talk almost casually with. When in fact, we serve a mighty God. God. But we also need to remember this when we get anxious, we are called to cast all our anxieties on Him. You know, I think one of the things about pursuing humility is that there is the struggle with wondering if someone will take advantage of me if I am humble. Now, can that happen? Absolutely. (laughs) And you might go, that's not fair. And I will say, life is not fair. I mean, you, you just can't get around that. But God already knows that. And so God says, casting all your anxiety on who? On him. And who's the him? God. But here, this, this short phrase should really bring some comfort. It says, because he cares for you. There is this incredible truth here. God cares. And God actually cares more than anyone else could care. Have you ever wondered if God cares? When sometimes things are hard and you might think, uh, God, do you even care what I'm going through? Uh, I've said that. Like, God, do you even care? Because it seems like people are getting away with things. God, are you not going to intervene? God, are you not going to stop the bad people? (laughs) You know, God, do you care? And sometimes I think we question whether God cares because we also feel like nobody else cares when we're going through something difficult. But here's the thing. It says here, because... He cares for you because he cares for you. We can apply that even to a greater extent. God cares for this church more than any of us could care for this church. And if you're ever wondering, like, what's going on? How come things aren't happening? You're anxious. I get anxious. I get anxious a lot. I'm even anxious in my dreams Majority of my dreams are about church. And it's not all bad. Sometimes they're good dreams. Last night I had a bad dream. I was on my way to church. It was very vivid. I got physically attacked. But one of the members of the church came to my rescue. It was so dramatic. And, <laughs> and I, woke, I woke up and I was like, whoa, that was so real. And uh, thank you to that member who rescued me. But then I look at other things. And and here's where God even goes beyond just caring. God will exalt those who are humble. You know, sometimes we think, well, it'd be nice if I get acknowledged somehow, you know, like that's why you study hard, right? So you can get acknowledged. That's why you work hard so you get acknowledged. Maybe even at church, you want to do something so that you will be acknowledged. And maybe you aren't. I don't know how many times I've been reminded by pastors who I've gone to for counsel to say, you know, when I'm having a hard time, they'll say, well, what did you expect? You're a slave. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. And if you're going to be treated like a servant, why did you think that you would be treated any differently? The world despises humility. Humility. The world despises servants. The world despises those, you know, in in the biblical language, we would say that I am not just a servant. I am a slave of Christ. My life has been literally bought by him. I belong to him. There is nothing that I own of myself. So what do I have to claim? What do I have to boast about? But God will exalt and he will exalt at the proper time, at the right time. In the right way. And it might not look like the way or time that we would want. But we can be assured that God will exalt those who humble themselves before him. If you look at the end of verse 5 there in First Peter 5. It says. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So God cares. He cares for us. He will exalt the humble. But here it says he will give grace. He will give grace. I don't know about you, but um, that's kind of a big deal because we desperately need grace. You know, if there's one virtue that we as a church, not only the elders and the deacons and the deaconesses, but if we as a church could Prize humility as one of the chief virtues which we would cultivate. Do you know what kind of church we would be? We would be a church that reflects First Peter 5. And God would do great things. Because he would care for us. Because he would exalt those who are humble. And he will give grace. The last thought I want to highlight here is to be humble sufferers. Okay, so here's the deal. You want to try to honor God. You want to try to do things the right way. You want to you want to affirm godly elders, deacon and deaconesses. So you know what you get for all of that? You get trouble. Why? Because there is an enemy. Look at verse 8. Be of sober spirit be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour there is an enemy who is 24 7 looking to attack those who want to honor the lord so you want to be humble you want to serve the lord you want to honor him then you better expect to be attacked But resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brethren who are in the world. You know, one of the things about going on missions to different parts of the world is you get to see other Christians. Yes, we go to share the gospel. Yes, we want to bear testimony. But we partner with those who would share the same convictions. And one of the things you're going to see, if they are faithful witnesses, it is that they will suffer. And so we share our stories of suffering. And so we know that there are those throughout the world who are knowing the same experiences of suffering. Look at verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while. A little while. How, how long is a little while? I don't know, but it's a little while in perspective of eternity. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. To him be might forever and ever. Amen. This benediction at the very end points to the God of all grace. He is the one who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. That provides perspective. Now, I know our church is kind of young, relatively speaking, age wise. We've got a lot of young families. We got a lot of kids. Young kids. We got more kids coming. The average age of our church, you know, continues to get lower and lower. And that's wonderful. But that's also hard. Because uh The little while, if you're on the front end of that, the little while might seem long. For me, a little while has seemed kind of long. But the one thing I could take comfort is, in God's eyes, it's a little while, but he promises. And what does he promise to do? He himself will restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. You know there's one thing that we have in Christ as Christians that the people of the world don't have. So we have a great God who makes promises who will keep them. And so that's why when you are weak you can be strong because it's his strength. You know when you when you when you feel kind of like lame in how you think, we have heavenly wisdom that is given to us by Christ. We are provided all things through the God of all grace. And we have to remember his calling. His calling is one of eternal glory in Christ. You know, sometimes I just wonder, as, uh, you know, I head closer and closer to the sort of end end of the road, end of the race. What is it that you look forward to? Uh, if you don't have Christ you only have death to look forward to. Everything else is filler. But for the Christian, we have perspective. That all that we go through, God is orchestrating for his glory. And that's why we, even we as a church, let's be reminded. Let's be reminded that God is the one who has called us to all these things. So the elders, Andy and Chris and myself, we have a Very serious responsibility to uphold what God calls elders to do. Those who are the deacons and deaconesses, they are not just there to have a title, but they are held responsible before the Lord to be the kind of men and women that will have character as well and serve. Even to our new members who have joined today, you are now part of this church family so that you would contribute in all the ways that God has gifted you. Let's heed the word of God. All of us are responsible to do that. Let us heed the word of God to honor what Jesus Christ, the head of the church, calls for us to be and to do.